This recording is a part of the Northern California Tape Library about alcoholism. It was made at the Sacramento Conference on March 1st, 1958. And the speaker is Adela Rogers St. John. Please observe the traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous and do not play this recording for entertainment nor commercial purposes. And please do not break the anonymity of any of the speakers at any public level. The original record and this copy were both made by Bill Mitchell, 2103 Miller Avenue, Modesto, California. It's 8.30. We're right on time. Now we have the treat of the evening. We have with us tonight Adler Roger St. John. Probably one of the staunchest friends of Alcoholic Anonymous. We all know and have read of her public life and what she has contributed towards the happiness and the understanding of mankind in general. But in her heart, she has a special interest, she's made a special study of our kind of people. I know most of us remember the fine talk that she gave us in San Jose. Today, there is much reminiscing about that. I, I could tell you about books, she's paid in the public life, her newspaper work. But I, I think a person of her nature, with her great spiritual insight, her love of a fellow man, I don't think there's anyone who can quite describe what we of Alcoholic Anonymous means to her. So I think it's only fitting that Adler Roger St. John stands up here and tells you how she feels towards us. Adler St. John. You haven't any idea what a big place this is <laughs> and how many of you there are out there. And I have a right to be here talking to so many of you in so big a place only because I think sometimes there's a better understanding of what you really are and what you really mean to the world today from a spectator's viewpoint, somebody who stands back and looks at you. You're so close to it. And you have so much humility that I, I sometimes don't think you understand about yourselves. So that's why I was so glad to come tonight. I'm really, really glad, in spite of having big game butterflies in my tummy, I'm real glad to be here because maybe I can tell you something of what I believe you are, what I believe you should be doing, what I believe you stand for. 
Uh, during the last couple of years, I've been traveling quite a good deal around this country, and I have been trying very hard for a number of magazines and, and some motion picture people to find out what the people in this country really, truly want the most. What it is that they are most concerned about. Everybody knows that we're in the middle of some kind of a Cold War. And everybody knows that we've just had Sputniks and goodness knows not what going on and all this business about the moon. I mean, I don't know what they want with the moon. But we can't handle what we got here. But nevertheless, they want the moon and everybody has got a lot of new things to think about. But as near as I can figure it out, and this is particularly true I've found with the younger people, the thing that they really would like to have is a complete belief that prayer can be answered. This is what they really, truly, with all their hearts want. A proof, a proof somewhere that prayer is answered. This is the thing. Now, what they, I suppose they're really asking for is a miracle. They want a miracle, a real, true miracle. In fact, they want, and, and after all, what is a miracle? A miracle is an answered prayer. Because we hardly ever start praying about anything until we find out we can't do it any other way. We try it out, we try to see if we can do it, we usually think pretty well of ourselves, and we try to figure this one out one way and another, and it isn't until we bump our nose or hit the bottom or something happens that we turn to prayer at all. So, a miracle is an answered prayer. And I would like to say to you, with all my heart, and I have two of them in my own family, that I believe... I am standing up here with my heart beating high, very high, because I'm looking at a lot of miracles, real, true miracles. Every single one of you is a miracle. You ever think of that? Everyone in this room, every member of Alcoholics Anonymous is an answered prayer and if you ever kidded yourself about I'm sure you never did, because you tried every other way. Just stop and think a minute of all the ways you tried, all the medicines and psychiatrists and jails and asylums and people and handcuffs and God knows now what, and nothing worked. Until you came in true humility to prayer, so you are miracles. You're miracles and you're miracle workers. Both. Both the miracle and the miracle worker. Well, if the thing that the, that the world wants the most today is to know that prayer can be answered, what does this make you? This has to make you the most important people in the world. Because there is no other group today in the world made up entirely of miracles and miracle workers. No place. You are it. You know, Fulton Ausler, I don't know whether you remember uh, uh, a very fine writer by the name of Fulton Ausler. He did a book called uh, uh, Life of Jesus called The Greatest Story Ever Told. And his wife, Grace, was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And Fulton was the man who didn't drink. And I said to him one day, 
Oh, Fulton, I've never seen you take a drink. Didn't you ever drink at all? And he said, no. And I said, well, why? Well, he said, you see, Adela, I'm just like you, and I'm just like Grace. We were born drunk. When you're born drunk, and you pour alcohol on it, look what happens. It's pretty terrible. But think how lucky we are to be born at that point of high intoxication, that point of that great wave top, that wonderful thing that other people keep on trying and trying and trying to achieve. The fact that we can't add alcohol to it. We shouldn't overlook the fact that we are the most wonderful, imaginative, quick, sensitive, highly organized people in the world. We were born way up there where all the other people in the world are always trying to get. And the only miracle we have to work is to learn that having already reached the peak, we can't afford to inflame it or make a conflagration on top of it. Well, you see, that's what... uh, I wonder if you will let me say something here. I should have said it right in the beginning. I'm too old and I'm too tired to fool around with synonyms for God. I'm too busy. Uh, Let's use God as a cold word. Will that be all right? Suppose we use God as a cold word, meaning uh, a power higher than you are, and God as you understand him, and divine principle and mind and all the other things. We'll just use God as a cold word, not a religious word, just a cold word. And... Uh, you people who have turned your lives and your wills over to God, uh, let me ask you if you have a thought for a minute, who you are. Who is the good Samaritan, for instance? Who stops and picks the guy up by the side of the road when everybody else is through with him? When nobody wants anything to do with him anymore at all. His family, his friends, his job. Uh, nobody wants him. Who stops and picks him up and dusts him off and sews up his wounds and washes him off and stays with him and takes him? Who heals the sick? You call alcoholism a disease? Who heals the sick? Who casts out devils? There isn't a single one of you who ever made a 12-step call that doesn't know a lot about devils. DTs, insanity, murder, thievery, violence. Who casts out devils? Who spreads the good news that there is a power higher than we are who desires our good and who restores us to sanity and success and love and respect and work with our fellow man? Who does all this? You do. You do. But what does this make you? It makes you the spiritual leaders of your time. It makes you the people who have done this thing, not talked about it, not gone maybe one day, once in a while uh, on Sunday, or even just tried or even hoped. You, every single one of you, start with that thing that the whole world is seeking, answered prayer. It works. It works. It works. Everybody today, look at the how-to books 
Look at the how to do this, how to do that. The whole place is full of them. How to do everything. You people know how to make it work. The spiritual power. God, as you understand him. You know how to make it work. Don't you understand that you have the power in this room, right in this room, since you know how to make it work, you have the power that as you extend it and go on extending it and, and spreading it to everyone you meet, you have the power to enforce peace. You understand it. You understand what peace is. You know, uh, it's a very interesting thing and has been very helpful to me. Everything that I can possibly say to you or know to say to you is just out of my own experience. The things that I myself have gone through and have seen in 50 years as a reporter. And I, I, would, I would like you to understand this one particularly because it's, it's a truth. It's a great, big, important truth. If a coach works out a good football play so that you know you put it on the blackboard with all the little circles and the little crosses and this man is supposed to do this and so forth and every man on the team the offensive team that has the ball executes his part of the play perfectly it cannot be stopped there is no defense and no defensive team that can stop it if it is executed with obedience according to the way the play was laid out. I don't, I don't know. There must be, well, everybody's a football fan to some extent, and I think a lot of you uh, must have seen the game on television for the world's championship between the Cleveland Browns and the Detroit Lions. Well, this is one of the greatest examples of this. I remember talking about it later to Red Sanders. This is one who, who says that you cannot stop a football play that is well conceived if it's well executed. Well, the Cleveland Browns were the greatest defensive football team in the world. Probably the greatest defensive team the world has ever known. They couldn't stop the Detroit Lions from running up 56 points. Boy, nobody scored 56 points on the Cleveland Browns in five years. But the Lions did it that afternoon because Tobin Road at quarterback was calling the right plays, calling them right, and everybody was doing them right. If you remember that fake field goal and those two fake pass patterns, they were executed so perfectly that 11 of the greatest defensive players in the world couldn't even come near them. Well, you see, you people already have the greatest play in the world. Bill Wilson worked it out for you in the 12 steps. It's the greatest play in life that has been written in our time. I think it's the greatest since the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to tell you that when you play that play right and take those 12 steps right, nothing on earth can stop you about anything. Nothing. I remember when my boys lived at home and were playing football, and one of my foster children, who's now coaching college in the Pacific, uh, 
used to, there used to be some criticism of a tackle that was playing in the line at the time. And uh, they both of them come home screaming. And I said, well, what is so awful about this man? What is he doing that's so terrible? Well, it seems that he was a half a step late all the time. And the half a step late let the other linebacker come through. And Moose would say, and I was the one that got clobbered. Because this guy didn't take his man. You know, he was a step late. Well, you start following up on the 12 steps. Start being a half a step late. <laughs> start not taking a half of one of those steps. And you probably won't work. You know this already. But it makes it more wonderful when you realize that when you do play the play right, when it does unfold properly, nothing. No evil in the world. No temptation in the world. No calling it anything else can ever stop the 12 steps when you play them right. And it isn't, it won't be, and it can't be confined entirely to the one thing. Because as this great spiritual thing grows, you know how hard it was to heal drunkenness. You know how hard. Why should it be any, why shouldn't it be anywhere near as hard to take those 12 steps and put them to work on everything else? Everything else in your life until it begins to unfold and you begin to walk out ahead and lead by your example. By your example, people see you. They say, a producer in Hollywood was talking to me about a story the other day, and I had an idea about it, and he said, yeah, but you're never going to be make, able to make anybody believe that anybody tries to live according to the teachings of Jesus Christ. There's nobody in the world today that even makes a half attempt at it. They wouldn't believe you. And I said, I'm sorry, you're wrong. I know people who live it all day long, every day, seven days a week, 365 days in a year. And you do. This is it. You don't need to call it by that name if you'd rather call it something else. But it's the truth. There it is, the pattern. You see, we took the Ten Commandments all wrong in the first place. We took them the negative way. You don't have to take them that way. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for instance. Well, you can say that that means you cannot take the name of the Lord thy God uh, to go cussing around with it. You can take it that way if you want to. But you can also take it that it means thou shalt not call upon the name of God in vain. When you call upon it, he will answer. And you can take every negative thought in the Ten Commandments and under what you know today about the wonderful affirmative power, you can go forward with it. Because, you see, you're living in a new dimension. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, are you understand anything about the fourth dimension that they talk about? Because I don't. I don't understand anything about it at all. My daughter does. I, you know, each generation, I hope to God, gets smarter. But, uh, and she is really a, a very, she's an AA, and she's an extremely intelligent woman. And... Uh, uh, she understands about this fourth dimension business, but I didn't. 
But I got to thinking, because it says in the book by Ospensky, which I didn't understand, uh, it says that uh, the difference from the third to the fourth dimension is no greater than from the second to the third dimension. So I thought, well, now the second to the third dimension is practically when uh, man stood upright. When he stood on his feet, when he could stand up and look around and see the heavens and everything. This was from the second to the third dimension. And when he took into consideration that God had made a great big world and that he was related to it, and so I thought, well, I can try that. I live down at Malibu uh, along the beach, and there aren't very many people. Uh, you know, in the winter, it gets kind of quiet down there. So I thought, well, I will try this. I have an upstairs deck that you can't see. So I thought, if I go around all day on my hands and knees, I'll be in the second dimension. Well, fortunately, nobody caught me, or they probably put me back in the first dimension. <laughs> the man in the white coat would have come. But anyway, I did it. Now, this is a very interesting experiment. I'm, I want to tell you, it really is. I went around all day on the deck up there, and around in my upstairs rooms, on my hands and knees. Well, I want to tell you, the world looks very different. It looks very different indeed. You can't get any sense of proportion. You don't get any sense of this great wonderfulness. You don't see anything but people's feet. It's very unpleasant. Well, I did it. So I waited until it was a moonlight night and there were stars and things. I knew this because I'd seen it the night before, so I couldn't play quite fair. And I then went out on the deck and I stood upright. Well, this is a small demonstration because I had seen the sky before. But I want to tell you, in my whole life, I will never forget that moment when after six or seven hours, looking only down, I suddenly stood up and looked at the sky and the moon and the stars. It was just so wonderful that I, I had a sense of God and all the power and all the beauty and everything that there just ever could be. And I wanted to sing and dance and just happiness and joy. Well, now that's from the second to the third. Now if you go from the third to the fourth, it's going to be awfully wonderful too. Even more, perhaps, than we can conceive when we get up one step closer. Well, now, you people are in a new dimension, you see. You really are. Because if you'll look back and remember just a little bit about how you kind of crawled around on your hands and knees a good deal of the time, and then when you turned your lives and your will over to God, you turn, well, this is standing upright and you're in a whole new world, a whole new dimension. Even if, as my blessed O.K. Posey said to me this afternoon, I used to not be interested, I used to reject God. 
And then he came into this and he was in a new dimension. And he stood upright and looked. And that's what all of you've done. So since you people are in this new dimension already, you see, you can, you don't have to go around talking to people that aren't alcoholics. But it isn't fair just because they weren't born alcoholics that they should never know anything about this. We have to be fair with them. We have to let them see it. We have to let them see the joy and the, and the light and the glory that has come to you through this. I've had it because, as I say, I have two in my own family. And I've watched them. I've watched them. And I see this glow. And I see this glory. And I see this thing that it means. You see, you are living under a new... I, oh, wait a minute. I, I want to show you something that, that I thought. I worked this out myself. And I thought it was very interesting. It says in the 12 steps, the 12th step, it says we practice these principles in all our affairs. Well, this is a very big order. What are all your affairs? They're all your dealings with your fellow man. They're all your dealings with everybody that you meet. They're your dealings in business. They're your dealings with your family. They're your dealings with the man that's driving the car in the next lane. They're your dealings with every person that you meet at a, at a meeting, whether you like them or not. You have agreed to practice these principles in all your affairs. And you get out of this, this, don't take this half step and you'll get clobbered. So you have to do it, you see. Well, I began to wonder about the principles. Um, I never understood, I, I, I do understand what a principle is. It's a law that you follow. And uh, I thought, well, 12 steps. We have agreed, what principles? What are these principles exactly? So I sat down and I spent a lot of time with my little AA booklet that I always carry. And this is what I got out of these steps as principles. Now the first step, for instance... The principle of the first step is truth. Truth. Well, truth is a power in and of itself beyond almost anything. The minute you are dealing with an in truth, you have come to a, a power, a, a great power, a hidden power that can transform your whole life and it can transform your whole future. Because if you spend as much time as I have figuring out that five and four make eleven, you will know that untruth gets you in awful messes with the bank. And pretty soon when you get to truth, and truth is really important to you, truth has a power to make itself believe. I've covered a great many, many uh, trials, murder trials, all kinds of... of big uh, courtroom cases. And uh, we have found in the press box as a rule that truth has the power to make itself believed. Truth is in itself a power. So, 
already on the very first step you have the principle of truth. And this doesn't mean that you can't go on with your lovely fantasies and dreams and imaginations that all alcoholics have. This is one of your great powers. Your dreams ahead. But you have two things to do now. You can make them come true with this power that you now have. That you can do. Or, and also, if you're going to tell them, uh, you can say that they are dreams or fantasies. You can, you know, kind of explain to people. <laughs> now, the principle of the second step is obviously faith came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. This is faith. Faith. Came to believe it. Sometimes you come the hard way and sometimes it takes time. And uh, sometimes, I don't know, a woman said to me today, uh, I have faith in that. I'm awfully ignorant about it, but I have faith in it. And I said, well, if you weren't ignorant about it, you wouldn't have to have faith. It's only the things that we are ignorant about where we need faith to the substance of our next step is faith. Now, the third one, of course, is activity. Action. Do something about it. Do it. Be active. Prayer is an active thing. Living truth is an active thing. You are active people. You see, you take this out and you live it. You live it and if you belong to the PTA or if you go out to uh, any social group or whatever you do, and even in politics, you are committed to activity. You are committed to action, to putting into action. You know, there's an awful lot of people who seem to think that the great teachings and the great words you are meant to go up and sit on cloud six and repeat them and then come down off cloud six and go back and live just the way you darn well please. Well, this isn't true and it never works. Activity. What's going on in all these laboratories? They have principles there. They're working at them. I was out at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory the other afternoon. And there you find these people are active, active, active. They've got to make it work. It's got to come into action. It's got to have the power to do it. Or it isn't any good. If it won't work, like that silly thing we put up that blew up, uh, and that we never should have mentioned to a living soul why we go around telling about it, I don't know silliest thing I ever heard. I'm a newspaper woman, but I thought we should have kept our mouth shut on that one. And, but nevertheless, it didn't work. Well, when things don't work, then they are, they are, the principle is not being applied properly, or it's an unsound principle. So you have to have activity. So the third step, you are on principle, committed to activity. The fourth step is courage. This you have to have. I was very amused the other night. Uh, Vice President Nixon was in Los Angeles and he appeared before the Los Angeles Press Club. And ten reporters and people asked him a lot of questions. Uh, both, uh, it was a regular press club meeting and these were political reporters and editors. And so they asked him some very interesting questions. And uh, <laughs> when he was discussing this matter of, of uh, our telling about Sputnik and everything, and uh, the next day he said to me, uh, you know, I wanted to say that what we needed in that instance was guts, but I didn't know whether it was a nice word to use over television. <laughs> so I'm going to use it. <laughs> I don't know, it's 
a nice word to use over television, but it's a nice word to use here. Courage means that you've got the guts to do the thing that you know has to be done and that you are committing yourself to. You've got guts. All alcoholics have guts. They use them the wrong way. Anybody could see that. Now, the fifth one is integrity. And that's one I love. Integrity. It's a hard word to define, but I don't think there's anybody in this room that doesn't know very, very well what I mean by it. Integrity. It's a beautiful word. To me, it means the person you can trust. Trust with your life. Trust with your secrets. Trust with your heartache. Trust with your money. Trust with anything. Integrity. Mm, Nice word. Now, you've got that. Now, the sixth one is willingness to be made whole. You remember that once somebody was asked that, art thou willing to be made whole? I know one very bright boy that really uh, understands the spiritual life would like to be part of it. But he said to me the other day, you know, Mom, I'm not willing yet to be made whole. I've got eight or ten things I still want to do. And I could understand that. He's young. He'll get over it. And, but you have come through suffering. You've come the hard way. You've come through finding out you can't do it without getting in such messes that it isn't worthwhile anymore. And therefore, I sat and looked at my son who put me on the train last night. He had hoped to drive up for this meeting, and my oldest son. And I sat looking across the table at him, and I thought, oh, God, please give me the power of words and, and from my heart to say what I feel about this thing. As I, because as I sat and looked at him, he was the kind of a drinker who turned green and damp. And I love him very much. I'm very fond of him. And it to 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 uh, uh, really, and to and and he always ended up without a job and you know everything. And then a man, initials are okay. <laughs> found him in a hotel in San Francisco one day, and I looked at him across the table last night, brown, alert, uh, no shades of green, looking as fine and doing a really fine job in the political world, real good boy, and I was so proud, and I thought, he has this thing, all these things here, he's living them, of uh, uh, it, you, it's just so wonderful because it's so far beyond confining it to this thing. This is the great leaven. This is the thing that can change the world. This is the thing that might be just that extra spiritual power. Russia says they're atheists. And they're going to defeat us because they're atheists. No. No, no. They're not going to defeat us at all, anyhow. But they're not going to defeat us because we are the people who can do a thing like this and who can live by this. Then, of course, the seventh one is humility. And I've always loved that word. I don't like the meek idea. I wasn't ever able to get very excited about blessed are the meek, even though I tried. And 
you know, some of us are just not born very meek. <laughs> but I have learned the hard way. We all learn the hard way. I learned the hard way what humility really is. And humility is just giving all the credit to that power which we are using the code word God to describe. If you just give all the credit, if you just remember to say, thank you, Father, or be with me, Father, because I'm going into a tough one now, and you make it good. You make this speech for me tonight because I know I can't. You write that story for me. You do this job for me. Help me. This is humility. This is humility. It's all there is. You don't have to go around being Uriah Heap or wringing your hands or anything. This is humility. I know that. The eighth, of course, is the greatest thing in the world. Love. Brotherly love. Loving kindness. And that means loving kindness in speech, in word, and not saying nasty things about people, and giving that up not just for Lent, but for all the time. (laughs) Not to be unkind. And everybody knows what it means. And this is the biggest thing there is. And the tenth one is steadfastness. To continue, to continue, to continue, to continue. And the tougher it gets, the more to continue. This is a principle of steadfastness without which nobody, nobody has ever done anything. And you've got that in your twelve steps these principles that you are practicing in all your affairs every day. Then the next one is the reason that we're here tonight, and it's the reason, in my opinion, that AA is the most single, important, spiritual group in the world today, and the most powerful. That's the word unity. You have unity. The great miracle. Do you realize what a miracle it is that you are held together by principle, by the beauty of principle? You haven't got any organization that amounts to anything. You haven't got any bosses and committees and all this nonsense. Every time it's happened, you get in trouble. You are held together by the principles of love. I've often, in driving back and forth across the United States, been astonished beyond words that 48 states as different as we are, as different as what is of concern and interest and background to the people in New England is to the people in New Mexico or the people in Louisiana to the ones in Minnesota. How do we, and of course it's always Texas, how do we? How can we possibly stay together, united like that? All you have to do is make a move against us, and we unite like that. Why? Because we do have love. We do have principle among us, and you have it. And oh, do keep it, because this is the miracle. This is the miracle of principle operating. Then there's the next one, which is service. And if you will look back and see how much of the life of every great leader has been devoted to serving his fellow man, and then think about that phone that rings at ten minutes after four, and somebody's in jail, or somebody isn't in jail, which is worse. Uh, (laughs) At least if they're in jail, you don't have to worry anymore. And those things, then you, you realize how wonderful this is. 
I can't read this watch. You'll have to excuse me just a minute while I look at it. That's the fanciest watch. What is time does it say? It's got funny kind of things that I don't think they're meant to be figures. I would like to say two things that are dear to my heart. You're also dear to my heart. When I, again, I've got a young daughter who's got two books on the bestseller list right now. She's an AA, had her 12th birthday. Sons are one thing, but that daughter who's an AA is really something. And that's why it means so much to me. I, I had a little idea that this, this is kind of, a, kind of silly. But I've decided that I'm going to get it made up someday and use it as one of those crest mottos. I'll get somebody to translate it into Latin or something. I used to go out to Sautel, to the Veterans Hospital, to the NP ward out there, and right after the war when the boys had just come back from the front and they had a lot of disturbed people out there. And a lot of them naturally wanted to write because that's the first condition of wanting to write is being slightly disturbed. And they thought that this would be good therapy, so I said I would come out and teach a class in writing. So they got, they all looked very familiar to me. I didn't seem any strange about them at all. And nevertheless, they put them in a room and they had windows with bars and they had guards at the doors. I thought, well, they could try this at any of the studios. You'd be able to tell the difference. And uh, sad nurses and everything. So I was talking along one day and there were two boys sitting in the front row, very nice looking boys. And uh, one of them said, lady, can I ask you a question? And the other kid said, well, you shut up. I didn't come here to listen to you yak. I can hear you yak all day long. I came here to listen to this woman talk. And the other kid said, well, I just want to ask her a question. So I said, well, I'll try it. I saw the guards begin to move a little bit. And I said, now, wait a minute, boys. I can, uh, I'll be glad to answer questions. I think we can do this to suit you both. Why don't you let me finish what I'm talking about, and then I'll give you a half hour, and you can ask all the questions you want. So the boy that had asked the question looked kind of thoughtful for a minute, and he said, all right, lady, I'll buy that. So I just want you to understand one thing. I may be crazy, but I'm not stupid. I would like to have this personally for a motto. I think it's real good, because a lot of us are sort of not in the groove, not in the ordinary thing of normal activity that everybody knows about, but... None of us are stupid. None of us. Not one person in this room. I have never met a stupid alcoholic in my life anywhere. I'm not going to go into the crazy part of it, but I've never met a stupid. (laughs) Never. So, let's take that one and let's remember it. So let's understand with all our hearts and souls that we are moving In this work, quietly, with all of the 12 steps, I don't mean you're supposed to get mixed up in anything else, but I mean as you do this, understand that this power that you are using is the greatest thing in the world. It's the thing that alone can save us in these coming years is this spiritual power that is keeping the balance true for peace all the time. I, and I would like to tell you this, I am here tonight 
by permission of someone, and I think it's kind of worth my passing on to you. I have a very dearly beloved aunt, who is naturally being my aunt. She's getting along in years. And uh, uh, she's in her late 80s somewhere, and she isn't very well. Her husband died about six or eight months ago, and she's frail and very sweet and very dear. So yesterday about noon, I got a call from her nurse, and she said, Adley, your aunt isn't at all well, and I wonder if you could come right out. But she lives pretty near to San Diego, and I couldn't get to Hemet and back in time to get up here under the circumstances, so I said, well... I I don't quite see, unless it's very serious, how I can. Will you let me, can I talk to her a minute? So she came on the phone, and I said, Aunt Madge, I can't come tonight. I just can't, unless you really need me very badly. And she said, oh, I do, I do. I want to see you very much. I'm the only person she's kind of got, you know. So I said, well, I was going up to Sacramento because I had been asked to make a talk to the AA people up there that are coming. There was a hesitation. And then she said, oh, well, you go to Sacramento. She said, you know how Uncle Jack, that was her husband, felt about AA. She said, you know, he was chief of police of Los Angeles once, and he knows all about AA. And he knew all about everything. And he thought that AA was the most wonderful thing and was doing the most wonderful job in the whole world. And he would want you to go. So I want you to go and I'll get along without you and just give all of them my love. So it's something to have made that impression on people like that. So that even when they feel a great need, they feel that the work you're doing is way, way beyond it. It's a joy to be here. It means a great deal to me. It means a great deal to feel that I can be part of what you're doing. God bless you all and thank you. Nobody's going to do anything to us. Now that we've got these people, nobody. Thank you.